Welcome to American Soccer Analysis. I'm your host, Harrison Crow. I'm a little under the weather. Ignore the voice and, and all the congestion. Sean Steffen will do all the heavy lifting in this uh, fine episode as we kind of talk a little bit about MLS Cup. Uh, we talk about the Western Conference playoffs. We talk about the Eastern Conference playoffs. And we'll talk a little bit about the MLS uh, MLS 11, as I use air quotes. Um, Sean, how are you doing, man? Wait, you're sick. I'm sick. This isn't going to be a good podcast. Well, this will be great. What have we done over the last week but watch TV? Well, uh, and lots of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Lots of Star Wars. So, like, it makes me think of, uh, there's this, uh, I saw something shared on Facebook, and it, and that's always a really dangerous gambit to enter into, but it's like this guy, <laughs> he's crossing out stuff on a calendar, and it says December on it, and his wife leans over to him, she goes, counting down days to Christmas, and he said, he looked at her, like, shocked, and he's like, no, Star Wars. <laughs> and that's, like, that's exactly how I feel right now. It's like, I'm like, yeah, why would I count down to Christmas? It, it, Star Wars is Christmas at this point. It's true, and, you know... I think we might we may do that a Star Wars a podcast especially. I'm starting to I read an article in Vice, you know, uh, was it? Yeah, I think it, no on a AV Club, and uh, just defending the prequels, and it really made me go back and rewatch them. And they are so much better than people give them credit for. Well, that that but you're also like you're hardcore like nerdage out on against like the the originals, right? Like you really dissected the first one, uh, episode four to, to a point that, that was, that really, uh, probably would offend a lot of people. Well, as I did that to show what, that if you were to take the same level of criticism that like episode two and three, I'm not going to go into one because everyone hates one except for me that those, that those face, and then you do it to four, you know, you, you get something similar. I we think, should save this for our Star Wars podcast. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we'll 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 completely uh completely kind of sh- you know toss this off to the side uh, and we'll focus a little bit more on soccery type things specifically. Um, we'll we'll start off on uh, the Western Conference Finals. Uh, man, a game that I think that like the 60th minute I tweeted uh, congrats Timbers FC and, and even I like felt like maybe I had. Uh, I thought I, I was completely just at first, and then before you knew it, um, Dallas kind of made a, a, a comeback, which was really weird. Um, really a weird game in and of itself. Uh, I felt that the subs uh, made by uh, Oscar Perez, uh, Oscar Perea, Oscar Perez, uh, I'm thinking about uh, Blas Perez. Oscar Perea were, were great. Um, the, the big problem is is that Blas Perez is not 90 minutes fit, and there's a reason why he's not starting and hasn't started most of the season. A- in addition to uh, Tesho Akindeli, it's kind of a kind of a wonder that David uh, Teixeira has kind of taken over the starting, starting roles. He really just did not do enough. He had 13 touches in 65 minutes. Like, I've railed against BWP only having 30, min- uh, 30 touches in both last uh, two games, 
this was 13 touches in 65 minutes. I don't know how you can be effective as a striker and get so little touches. I mean, uh, I, honestly, I haven't done the work to, to necessarily look at how few – um, but I mean, this is, this is like less than four or 5%. And, and I think to really be an impact, you got to be hovering around that seven, 8% as a striker. I, I, I would imagine. Well, what are some of your thoughts about David Teixeira? And, uh, did you think he did, he did enough? Oh, he absolutely didn't do enough. Um, yeah, he only had six passes on the night, a hundred percent completion rate. Give him credit for that. <laughs> but, uh, he had zero, uh, passes in the final third, zero. And that's where Ford sit. You know, you would think that he would get a pass off in the final third, you know. And as a result, if you just look at the uh, defensive actions for the center backs, it's, uh, it really tells the whole story of uh, how he just wasn't troubling them. If you look at Borchers, he had four defensive actions all night. Four. That's insanely low. You never see a center back with so few defensive actions. He only had one defensive action in the box, and that's one that everyone can point to because that was the block, like the big block. But other than that, all of them were outside the box. Meanwhile, Paparato had seven interceptions from the midfield line to the top of the box. He was just, every time the lines were, were pushed up, he was intercepting balls left and right because he had total impunity to step up into that midfield because Tashir was no threat. They were playing without a forward. Yeah, and on top of that, I felt like Castillo did a lot of dropping back into the midfield to try to get some touches. I think he did a much better job this game to uh, definitely try to get involved in the attack. Uh, but Jorge Villafania just totally shut him down. And I think uh, Pavarotto just like being able to step into that midfield helped negate some of the stuff of uh, helped double team Castillo and, and force that pass back to uh, Diaz or, or back into the defense to, to kind of negate what he was, what he was trying to do. Yeah. I mean, I've got, uh, if you looked at the passing uh, stats for both Diaz and Castillo, you can really see the, the lack of uh, an outlet lack of, you know, to share uh, being there to, to ping passes off of uh, it was um, completed passes in the final third for Diaz. He had two. For uh, if you look at uh, Castillo, it 31% completion rate, uh, completion rate in the final third. That's abysmal, absolutely abysmal. And those are your two star attackers, and if they can't get it going in the final third because there's no forward who's getting any touches whatsoever, that's a major problem. And yes, Dallas doesn't do very well. This is something Jason pointed out last podcast. Dallas doesn't do well in possession in general. They're a good counter team. And Portland gave Dallas possession. They were willing to give them possession, which was the smart thing to do. That said, they should still be able to get off more than 13 shots. Yeah, but Castillo thrives in being able to dribble and and take players one-on-one. And the fact that Paparato was able to pop over there and and to to kind of shut down Castillo's dribbling lanes, uh, Castillo only had one dribble. That's Jeez, that, yeah. that that's amazing to me. He and, yeah, and, he averages six a game, I believe, um, yeah. or over six a game. He's got a over fifty percent success MLS. rate. Yeah, it's the highest in MLS, and he has the one of the highest compl- uh, percentages of the elite dribblers. It's over fifty percent uh, for uh, he he gets past you more often than not, which is very rare. And so I think that it's really interesting that on top of that, that Castillo, being that his dribbling lanes were shut down, he had zero key passes. I think that's a that's really kind of um, 
I think that's more indicative because I think that you in games where Castillo has got shut down, he's still found ways to find Diaz or to find whoever's up top or to find and perform the switch to Barrios or allow somebody else to kind of be the star. And he's kind of soaked up some of that attention. In this game, it just wasn't the case. Well, he only had four completed passes in the final third. It was just like you were saying earlier. I mean, Paparato can step forward like that. And let's not forget Diego Chara did amazing work in this game. Diego Chara had nine defensive actions, five of which were tackles in the final third. Three came centrally on uh, around final third entry, which is like a, we have the danger zone, an area that we've named. We really need to come up with a name for that because it, it seems to be very important. I, I love he, the danger zone. I, I'm not, I refuse to let go of that. We're not going to let go of it, but I think we need, another, we need a name for this new area, which is like the entry point from middle third to final third. Because generally, you see defensive actions stack up there. And Chara did an excellent job of getting actions there. Uh, he also had two tackles at the very top of the box, which is limiting chance in the danger zone. Absolutely incredible work. And then even more surprisingly, absolutely crazy, is Nagby only had two fewer defensive actions. Nagby had two fewer than Chara, and Chara is one of like the defensive midfield gods of MLS. Yeah, no. What's Nagby going on was, with this Portland team right now? Nagby was excellent in his ability to to fall back into the defense and, and to collect that ball. Um, six tackles, two interceptions, and, and really the biggest thing for me. Uh, as weird as this sounds, is, is that he only had one foul. Um, a lot of attacking players can get sloppy. I mean, you, you've heard, uh, we, we've all heard, you know, sportscasters talk about um, tackling like a forward. That definitely wasn't his approach. He, he, he's very competent in his, his uh, uh, take-ons or on his, you know, tackles. I thought he was excellent all the way around. And, and while we expected him to come out and play this big attacking game, he allowed Valeri to step into that role and instead was an influence and really a decisive player on defense. So it, it, it kind of makes you wonder, is there anything that Nagby can't do when he sets his mind to it? Absolutely true. And one thing which I found very interesting was in, in regard to uh, Valeri and Nagby was that uh, I, I first noticed this when I was looking at defensive actions. It doesn't, it's not really clear if Nagby had a set man to mark because we saw, saw tackles on either side of the box for him. And then when you look at both Valeri and Nagby's passes, it's, if you were to show that map to two different people, you they wouldn't be able to tell you who lined up where. They were both completely free-floating throughout the entire game. And that's pretty cool. I kind of I, mean, felt, I don't have anything else to say about it, but it's really cool. <laughs> no, I kind of felt like Valeri maybe didn't quite have... It, it was weird because he got passed up on a couple different opportunities very early on, and it almost looked as if the team w wasn't quite clicking with him in, in in the area. I mean, obviously, by the 30th minute, that that was gone, and he was instrumental in setting a body. But still, I, I thought that um, Valeri kind of wasn't um, – he wasn't quite – integrated with that attack as much as you would probably expect early on in the game. But it was nice to see that they were able to overcome some of that and, and to kind of bring him on. Well, if you look at Nagby, he didn't have that many chances that he created, which is a striking difference from the last game. So the roles kind of swapped with him and Valeri. And maybe that would be sort of, that's always been a question with Portland is how those two work together. Now that Nagby's stepping into more and more of a attacking midfielder creative role, 
that everyone thought he could be. Where does Valeri go from there? And I think we saw that in this game, where Nagby was incredibly defective going forwards, just in terms of general ball circulation. His passing accuracy was on point. He was getting the ball everywhere. He was popping up everywhere. And he was putting the defensive actions in. He was putting the defensive work in as well. And Valeri was the one uh, sending in those uh, key passes. You know, uh, maybe some, they'll work out some sort of uh, system where it's sort of alternating based on the defense. But, I mean, for that game, it worked fairly well. And this is a game they didn't have a lot of possession. You there? I can't hear you. I, I said something uh, erroneous early. Um, I said that Castillo only had one dribble. That was one successful dribble. He did uh, attempt um, five, uh, six total dribbles. He was unsuccessful in five of those. So just to just to kind of do a little bit of fact checking on myself, that was just something that uh, I looking down at my notes, I'm, I might have uh, misspoke earlier, but um, still it. it again, speaks very loudly to Villafania and what he was able to do. So mm -hmm, Absolutely. Also, not only that, if you don't have someone to pass to, you're going to get shut down, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, but I, I say that because I was actually looking at um, – I was actually looking at what uh, Nagby did, and Nagby had more uh, more dribbles than – more successful dribbles and take-ons than Castillo did out of uh, basically playing a defensive mid-roll. Uh, which was just kind of made me giggle a little bit uh, as a as kind of a stats nerd. It just, yeah, I I, I think I want to uh, call Nagby a defensive mid. I, I mean, I well, think he was. Play, yeah, yeah. Okay. They played a bit of a zipper. They played the a defensive That's a mid. Great way of saying yeah. it. That's a yeah. perfect way of saying it. Because he did, he floated from the attacking side all the way back down to the defensive side and really supported. Uh, you know that whole entire side with um with with Castillo running making runs down there and and really I thought that Barrios was really I mean he had seven uh attempts at dribbles uh and I said seven attempts he had seven unsuccessful dribbles um so I just think that it just it really speaks to the fact that they really used Nagby Villafania and uh Paparato just to kind of pop out and be that defensive uh you know wall and just shut down shut down whatever whatever doorway you want to call it that into the final third they they just absolutely mitigated every attempt to get in there um which is probably how you would take Dallas out right is to shut down their uh their ability to enter into the into the final third via just you know they're not exactly a one-two pass type team right they're gonna they're gonna try to beat you with their speed on the wings uh and maybe through uh their physicality uh up the middle and they just really weren't able to do it yeah i mean what's interesting is once blouse came in how everything changed and uh that's i think that kind of shows you everything you, you really need to to know about uh, to share its ability in that game because once they were able to get a little hold-up play up top, it was game on. Perez had more um, passes than Teixeira. <laughs> that well, that's, doesn't surprise me. <laughs> that, that's that. Uh, I, I don't know what that says about 
about Tashera. I really don't. I don't know if it's just he just doesn't have the physicality to to do to you know to perform some holdup play. If he needs a partner, what needs to happen? But that's got to be that's got to be the number one thing on their list, right? Is basically replace Blas Perez, find somebody uh, to replace Blas Perez. I don't think it is, but I think they kind of fell on the same uh, sword that they've been charging with, which is uh, this whole youth revolution. Uh, We saw two things in this series. One, Tashir is not there, despite uh, uh, the coach, you know, saying that he needs to give him those minutes. He needs to give him those touches. He believes in them, all that stuff. And then, um, uh, oh, what's the keeper's name? Jesse Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Great keeper, great shot stopper. Had lots of trouble in Portland. And then on the Milano goal. Oh, that was just I, like. I, I've, that... been, I've been thinking about this Milano goal for a while because when I saw him, like, I've never seen a goal like that. And a lot of it had to do with Milano's skill and keeping his balance and all that. But then I finally realized what it is. The reason why you never see it is because a keeper never abandons his post like that. You're never supposed to give up near post. And he gave up near post. It was it was on him. So in the end, for for as great as their youth has been, it also cost them in the series. Yeah, that was just a really weird goal. I mean, yeah, everybody wants to give Milano the credit of, for the skill. And whatever anybody wants us to talk about, so masterful sub by Porter, it was very apparent that either Adi was time-wasting or he was legitimately injured. I have no idea which. But I don't think him inputting Milano was necessarily like this stroke of genius. I think it was more like... A, you know, Adi asking to come out of the game or whatever it ended up being. Um, I think it was inadvertent. And I I really think they should be using Arudi. I've been preaching this from, from for a while. I, I feel like they really need to use Arudi more. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. That's that's just, that's that's my first. I, I hope Maxi Arudi finds some place to start. He, he should be a starter in this league. He should. Like they, they, there's nothing in my mind that says he shouldn't be. So, um did I tell you the story when I was at the Kansas City Portland watch party uh, for the Timbers Army uh, uh, chapter here in LA, uh, just with a friend? And no, then I please, kept please, telling them. Please, please tell us. And I kept telling them, you know, I was a little, a little tipsy. And I kept telling them all very firmly that a Rudy was going to come in and change the game. And by gosh darn it, he did. And that's, you know, what's funny is because uh, my wife and I were watching the game together and I kept telling her, I was like, what they need is bring in a Rudy and he will change this game. If Porter would just put, and I was doing the same thing and she looked at me, she's like, shut up already. And then he came in and he scored that goal. And she just looked at me. She's like, you are such a friggin' nerd. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> so, you know, nerds of a feather, you know? Uh, Absolutely. So, um, is it, you got anything else to say about this game? This game's kind of, it's kind of one-sided. Did Dallas do anything right? I mean, outside of bringing in Blas Perez? Um, I mean, the season, they did a lot, right? I think oh, they I, were yeah, the best. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't mean to belittle. I mean, I'm talking oh, about absolutely. strictly I think in, this, the, in this game. I thought the Mortimer, Michelle sub was good. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought Michelle sub was good because they had their chances on those set pieces. And, you know, it really would have been funny. What Michelle's, what, like 34, right? Uh, something like that. He's old. It would it would have been funny if the youth if the youth revolution was saved by this the old guy that was benched. You know, I was kind of hoping for that. 
Because everyone likes to get on these narratives. And while they're fun, they can kind of be distracting. And they can kind of gain their own momentum. And, and you can lose sight of the fact that a guy like Michel does have value. Maybe he should be on the field at sometimes, you know. Maybe Blas should be in there. I don't, you know, you say you don't think it's Matt Fred. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure. But uh, I, I don't, think uh, I don't th- I don't the tired Blas is better than what Teixeira was doing. I don't think he's 90 minutes fit. I think he certainly is 45 minute fit. And I think that he's probably 60 minute fit. Um, I think he should have been a halftime sub. To be perfectly honest, that's kind of that's that was started if, if he can go sixty. But I think that you would rather him come in in the second half and get you because I knew he had a goal in him. I, I'm telling you, going into this game, I knew Blas Perez was going to score a goal, and and the fact that he almost scored a second one if it wasn't for Nat Borchers and, and his amazing uh, right foot, um, his, his one defensive action in in the in the box the entire game. But seriously, um, and I know it's he saved a good he saved it for a good one and it was pretty incredible. But uh, you know when I was looking up that uh, I was dumbfounded. That was just like one action. I realized oh and and what an action it was. Well, and, and that actually kind of goes in place of the part that I've I've kind of loudly screamed and kind of been told you know no by a lot of people is I think blocking is absolutely a skill. Um, I I really believe it. I believe a defensive man's ability to get in front of balls uh, quickly. Um, is a skill, and that's and that's my personal opinion. I think you know Nat's ability to, to throw his leg up there quickly and to deflect that shot just speak loads to about his um, if you if you want to call it grit or if you want to call it some other uh, you know adjective that you know is you know descriptive of his experience, um, whatever. I, I I think that it's a skill, and I think that it's something that you can definitely uh, look at. Um, I would like to see over the course of, you know, multiple years, whether or not it's a consistent skill and whether or not it actually leads up to being an impact um, talent, whether or not it's something that teams should look at and consistently evaluate uh, when basically trying to um, acquire them. But I think that it's a skill. Now, does I, I forget, does Opta have a – I know it tackles, there's attempted tackles and tackles – um, you know, incomplete pass and complete pass. Is there a, like an attempted block? Because, you know, you could absolutely judge, you know, scientifically, you could just go through and look at percentage and see if it is a bell curve, see if it is a skill, see if, or see if it is, uh, uh, you know, if it's just another random bit of soccer that we all, we all wish was, wasn't random because it makes the game seem more beautiful. Well, some people have said it's random. Some people have said that it's all—it's more of a last-ditch effort. Um, like if you didn't do your job to close down a defender and he's going to take a shot and you had to jump in front of a ball or you had to get in front of the ball real fast, um, it, it's more indicative of poor defending. And I don't necessarily agree. I, I don't think that Nat Borchers was responsible for Blas Perez getting that ball in that in that situation. Yeah, you could probably, if anybody, blame Paparato um, in that situation. But you know, um, I think that by, by that logic, then an interception, you could argue something similar because you allowed the pass to happen, but you don't always pressure the pass because sometimes it's covered. So well, maybe exactly. you know, so there are you, there's a lot of nuance in how defenses defend sometimes you drop back but there is absolutely well, some truth to the fact that, that we've uh, talked about the, the first line oh yeah with, with la and seattle both they don't pressure shots 
they allow you to take bad bad shots at times. Well, LA doesn't allow you to take many shots at all. Seattle allows you to take all sorts of shots, which are really, really bad shots. And they're they're very good at putting lots of men in the box. I've said that you know MLS should invent a goaltending rule just to get Seattle to uh, play some prettier soccer. I think that it's a great strategy. Uh, personally, I, I think it's great. I think it's it's being smart about um, tactics. I mean, if if you're going to uh, go ahead and encourage, you know, those 18 yard uh, plus shots, uh, I, you know what? If you can if you can put a ball on a dime, you know, and you can beat us that way, you know, God bless you. Um, you're immensely talented, and and that's how you're going to beat us. You're not going to beat us by dribbling all the way through us, which you know. LA's done multiple times, so whatever. It's certainly a Ziggy Schmidt nuance, and you know what? It, that's There's something I want to tie to this, but I'll bring that up during the best 11 because it's a funny story, but it ties more to the best 11. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to Columbus, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, New York Red Bulls, who it kind of seemed like they were trying to get a goal from the second the whistle was, was blown. Like, they just kind of look exasperated through this entire game. Just like they were so fervently seeking this goal, uh, 17 shots total that they put up uh, opposed to Columbus's nine. Um, they had so many, they had 736 touches in this game, obviously lots and lots of ball actions. Um, and, and yet, and this is again, something that I'm going to rail against. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips had all of 35 touches. Um, <laughs> It's not Bradley Wright Phillips. No, fault. it's well, the fault it, of the wingers. It's, well, exactly. And this and, is the opposite problem as Dallas had. Dallas had all these the attackers, you know, with no with no forward to go to. This we have Bradley Wright Phillips with his wingers being being completely shut down. They're not being able to cut inside. It was the same thing in the first series. And right, you know, Lloyd, it's, it's Lloyd Sam and Grella were just awful. And, and Francis were amazing. Let's just say it. Francis especially was amazing, but Harrison Offal was really good too. And they used was that. Was Offley good? Was he uh, awful? Hashtag Team Harrison. Dude, we can both do corn. You're you don't got corn. You don't own the patent on corn. Right, right. No, I I don't th- I don't think anyone owns the patent on corn. Well, I know that there's some you know. Some people within the you know government farm subsidies that would like the patent on corn, but that's a different. You know, that's, let's that's turn that. Let's turn this podcast political. What do you think about that? Um, actually, that's funny. About I had a subsidies. whole debate when I, I was actually on the high school debate team, and we had farm subsidies <laughs> that we actually had a debate about, which is you know you, you Washington State's not what you think of when you think of farm subsidies, but Eastern Washington's a huge com- uh, farming community. Um, they hate us, quote unquote, coasties, because, you know, there's more people over here and we vote down a lot of, you know, that type of stuff that probably it would be good for the state income wise. But, you know, it doesn't you know, it affects us in a negative capacity. And and, you know, so we don't want to look at the greater good. Anyways, let's let's move away from that. I don't get a say on this. I don't get a say on this. Go go for it. Go for it. What do you think on government, you know, farm subsidies? Well, I was raised by a man who was pretty much a socialist, and uh, it's funny. He grew up on a farm, and he's got all these right-wing, uh, you know, uh, brothers and stuff, and they get a lot of farm subsidies. And it's funny. They live in Wisconsin. They were all for, like, this anti-union stuff, so, you know, they were always bickering on the phone. And uh, one of the things he would always bring up is their, 
their corn subsidies and or their uh, farm subsidies, and uh, I would just sit there laughing. Be like, you tell them, Dad. Yeah, you tell them, Dad, <laughs> Stefan. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, back to wingers. Uh, <laughs> uh, hashtag, I don't get paid for transitions. Um, so, we can talk about Harrison Offal, and we can talk about Sean Francis, who both were, were um, immense in this game, and, and being able to t- deter, uh, you know, Lloyd Sam and, and being able to uh, basically keep Bradley Wright Phillips from getting too much of the ball. And that, that I feel is kind of the hallmark of this game. I mean, when you look at the fact that New York managed one goal over 180 minutes, um, I, I really feel that's probably, and, and really Bradley Wright Phillips, only goal was the, uh, was plus 90 minutes. Almost, granted, he almost had a second one, but let's, you know, close only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, I like, believe that is an accurate, uh, an accurate statement, Harrison. So, you know, you have Grella, who I felt they really, Columbus really dared Grella to, to be the guy to win this game, right? That's kind of how I felt about it throughout this. And I just felt he just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I'm going to steal a couple points from uh, from Matt Doyle, mainly because, honestly, I found myself just looking at my phone so often during this game. It was really boring to me, which is really boring to me. And the most, I think, like, the most interesting thing to come out of this game was Sasha Kleshin's quote afterwards. Did you see Kleshin's quote afterwards? I did not. Um, he, he said, I may get some, I may, uh, uh I don't know if I'm going to get this word for word, but he said, I rather win with these guys or lose with these guys than win with Columbus. I love it. I, I love little digs like that. It's great. <laughs> it's so like, like, what is he even getting at? <laughs> like, does he just not, is it a dig at Columbus, the city? Because I know Clash would only come to New York or LA. Like he made that stipulation. Is it like like what is he getting at? Well, I, so you know, I think that there's one thing that you'd really take away from this game. It was kind of chippy. Um, I'm actually personally surprised at how few fouls there kind of there were. Uh, there's only a total of 19 fouls called. Um, and I don't even know if there's any cards that were issued. I can't tell off the top of my head. But there's a total of uh, 18. I'm sorry, 18 fouls total and and really um collection had the most with three so despite that i felt this game was really chippy and i i think that you really could see that um new york got really frustrated uh mm-hmm. by a lot and, of what columbus uh, did and but i don't think columbus sat back i don't i don't i didn't feel like columbus tried to like quote unquote bunker or anything like that is did you feel that way there's a difference between bunkering in my mind and playing conservatively. And I think Columbus's outside backs were not as adventurous as they normally are positionally. Uh, I think that this was just not a good matchup in retrospect for, for New York because New York doesn't have that direct ability. And, you know, Matt Doyle kept saying that, uh, he kept crying out that they needed to bring in a bong. And when they did bring in a bong, finally, he won a lot more aerials than BWP, and they were able to sort of bypass their wing troubles by going more direct, and it it brought them back into the game immediately. 
So in a way, it's a lot like the Dallas when, when they brought in Blas. Well, so, yeah, I, I don't know about sitting back, but they were definitely they definitely knew that they had a lead, and they definitely weren't pushing as hard as New York. I don't think that necessarily you had to bring in a bong uh, so much as you needed more people up front to get to win those aerial headers and people that were. I don't think this isn't a Bong versus a Bradley Wright Phillips thing. I think this is about getting people that were able to win headers in the box that weren't, you know, you know, Sam that weren't. Oh, it has uh, nothing to do. Yeah, it has nothing to Grella, do with that weren't it has, Yeah, it has to do with skill sets. You know, a Bong is more physical. He's better in the air. You know, mm-hmm. just like you're saying. Yeah, I'm not. This is a knock against BWP. You know, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Uh, speaking of, which, did you hear that he he might play for a uh, Jamaica? Who? BWP because of uh, because of his mother. He recently said that he'd open to a call up. That would be fantastic. Uh, I no, we it. need to naturalize him. We need to we need to get our government to set up a, a path to citizenship that's sped up for MLS players. I think you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> absolutely wrong. Like I could not disagree more with uh, with you on this subject. There there's a few <laughs> situations that like like. Darlington Nagby, for instance, I, I felt like his whole his whole naturalization took way longer than what should ever have happened. Um, to be perfectly honest, uh, you obviously he was here for you know school. He was there for college. He went out of his we way had... to play here. Uh, he did when he wouldn't get drafted by Vancouver because he wanted U.S. citizenship. I really felt like the. It, it warranted some government involvement in that capacity, but just to get a player because he's good at soccer to, to become a U.S. I don't know about that. I think. Well, I, I don't care. I don't care about whether or not it's good for the country, but I care about whether it's good for the national team. You know, I want Iguain two cycles ago. That's funny. Uh, there was a there's a there was a petition. Someone actually did that petition change whatever website where like if you get enough signatures, the president has to address it. There was a petition to naturalize Higuain. I'm not going to say, like, I'm against that. You know how I feel about him. And, in fact, That's honestly, I, brought it up. I, I thought it's that he was – I, <laughs> I thought he was the best player for Columbus. And, and I probably am in the minority on this. Um, but I felt like his ability to, to kind of take control of the game and di- dictate the rhythm uh, from Columbus's perspective – I thought was phenomenal. Uh, he didn't have the most touches, but I mean, you know, Will Trapp usually does that. He just didn't turn the ball over. He made smart passes. He was very methodical. He's not the great. I, that's the thing about like Federico Iguain is he's just not necessarily the best MLS player at anything. I think that there's a lot of things though that he does that are above average. He's an above average player at that position. And that is completely underrated. Um, he went from being underrated to overrated, and he's back to being underrated for what he does for Columbus. Because he's not necessarily – he's transitioned away from being that final pass, and now he's the pass to the final pass, right? He's setting up Ethan Friendly, He's setting up Justin Merriman. He's setting up Kai Kamara to kind of work in this capacity. And he's doing a ton of off-the-ball work work 
to keep possession, to win back possession. I, I, I think he's fantastic. And I really, honestly, I felt he was one of the best pieces out there for Columbus. And I'm probably in the minority on that, but I'm all right with it. Yeah, I think Will Trapp was the best player on the field for. for and and, and I, think I knew you were my own bias. No, I, <laughs> no, I knew you were gonna say that. I, I, I really kind of, I, I, I expected that, and and that's all right. Uh, I, I think he was very good. I think that if we're arguing over which two of these guys, it, you know, had a better game, I think you're probably having uh, a discussion about the Columbus Crew winning, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Will Trapp is finally developing into the player that, you know, uh, every uh, people in the analyst, analyst media have kind of known about him for a while and have kind of been hoping that he's going to step up into this bigger role. It seems like he might actually be doing it. And that is exciting because he projects really, really high. There aren't a lot of midfielders in the world at his age who can place a, a long ball with the accuracy of Bill Trapp. And that's something you place that in the national team and who boy, that's, that's just exciting. That we well, can have right. someone that's so one of Alex, the best in the world at something on our team. Alex Wilshansky, uh, you know, temple free soccer. He did that. Yeah. Yeah. He did that amazing article. Exactly. Yeah. He did that. What, and that, I feel like that was two years ago now. It was 2014. Cause I, yeah, I referenced it uh, last night. Okay, it so was 2014, it was last... and then in July, I believe, of 2014. Yeah. So. Um, and for those who want to read amazing. it, just Google the Will Trap, the best uncapped American. He was uncapped at the time, and you'll see, you'll find the article. It's at uh, Tempo Free Soccer, and the coolest part about the article is he has a list of midfielders uh, at that position who are of the same age. And uh, around the world. And you'll see guys that you'll recognize that are really, really good. You know, from Germany. You'll even see uh, Leiba in there. You'll see a lot of players. And you'll see that when it comes to the long balls, he's number one. And then when it comes to defensive usage, he's not, he's, you know, above average. When it comes to pass usage, above average. When you see all of these stats, he... For his age group and his position, is one of the best in the world at what he does. When people talk about, like, what are we going to do with Jermaine Jones and Kyle Beckerman getting old and not being able in the rotation, I feel like they really underrate. Like, it irritates me to no end because the solution's really simple. Will Trapp should be the starting center uh, midfielder alongside Michael Bradley with Darlington Nagby at the top of the point. Like that, like that, that to me, there is no argument. I, I don't, I can't conceivably see what's wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. I, I've envisioned for oh, a long time, a day where it's Will Trap and maybe Heinemann uh, in our midfield in the future. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thought. I think, um, this past year, and being a Fulham fan, I'm kind of disappointed that he's kind of he's forcing himself out of Fulham. So it'll be really interesting to see where he lands. Um, that being said, um, maybe with Fulham getting a new head coach, he'll get more opportunities. Uh, it was very apparent that he was uh, he was somebody that Fulham could depend on early on last season. But after you know they got rid of 
their head coach, it just ended up not really. I don't know if uh, Alan Pardew just di- didn't rate him or what the situation was. Um, didn't want to give him the chance. Uh, I-, I think that ultimately it was a really poor decision. I think it's kind of led to Hyman trying to find greener pastures. And I think that there's going to be some. Uh, I, I really believe that there's some Premier League clubs that he could fit into and, and exceed, uh, excel very well. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens the next two to three years to this midfield. And what's even more phenomenal is how young Michael Bradley still is. I mean, he's only like, what, 27, 28? Um, yeah, so. but I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm getting to – I think Bradley is being ruined by TFC. I, I, on, this is another discussion, but I did just pull up the um, – that article um, from my good friend Alex, and I just uh, wanted to point just because a lot of people just uh, just describing it isn't going to give them as full of a sense of the craziness of what we're talking about here. Uh, when it comes to 25-yard passes, uh, uh, the highest is Well Trap with 86%, and he attempts 9.8. Uh, I think that's a game, and then. The second highest is Tony Cruz of Bayern Munich. So yeah, he's the American Tony Cruz. And which, which is even crazier insane. to think about that. Well, you think about that was before Kai Kamara, and on top of that, you're talking about Tony Cruz having Bayern Munich players to win those balls. So I, I mean, no disrespect. But it's not like Columbus had. Think about who he was picking out passes to for Columbus beforehand uh i i i'm really excited to see what next year a full healthy season is going to do to will trap with kai kamara up top i i really feel it's going to get really crazy yeah i mean the i don't think he's going to get called in for the simple fact that he made that comment yeah that got yeah. echo chambered <laughs> on twitter when he said that clinton didn't play him in position in camp or not, not or only he never he... Or he never practiced uh, right mid, which is where Klinsman put him. And if you look at the interview, it's a lot softer in context, but that's not how Twitter portrayed it. And it well, got not echo only chambered. that, but yeah, and, and on top of that, he, he kind of came across, and, and this is probably not what he purposed, and it kind of translates to being younger um, and, and being maybe having your words twisted a little bit. But uh, he came across as kind of critical of uh, of Jurgen Klinsman, and that's one thing Jurgen Klinsman doesn't really tolerate, so... Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, just the American Tony Cruz uh, throw him under the bus because he doesn't quite fit. Just like Benny Failhopper. Oh, he doesn't get along with the players. We'll throw him under the bus too. We don't need him. We've got a great player pool. We've got lots of players ahead of him. So a couple guys that stood out for uh, the Red Bulls for me. Dax McCarty. He had the most passes in either of uh, the MLS games with uh, 91. That was more, uh, 30 more than the next guy, uh, who I believe might have been Will Trap. Um, I can't remember who. I didn't write it down. Uh, but that's that's a pretty unfathomable number right there. 91 passes uh, and an 82% uh, successful rate. A lot of those on the ground. Um, just opening up spots. It, it's great to see... He obviously was much better this game than he was previous, and I think that he definitely had a bigger impact in this game. 
Uh, Matt Miazga with 10 clearances. He had one interception. And the big thing was that he won six aerials, uh, which I think when you think of him going up against Kamara uh, is pretty, pretty huge, um, really. Uh, Kamara yeah, is it's by, interesting that March by was, far uh, Zubar. What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm saying, yeah, he is. Um, I think it's interesting that Marsh went with Zubar for the because he wanted Miazga and Zubar up against Kamara, and I'm I'm not quite sure how it worked out, honestly. It's I'm wasn't really a success, but I mean I wouldn't say that the tactic itself was a failure either. I mean I don't know. This series as a whole seems a lot more blah than the other one. I was so much more up for FCD Portland, and it did not disappoint. This one very much did, and only because. New York just fizzled. New York just didn't, didn't play New York soccer, and Columbus didn't let him. And I, I can respect what Columbus was able, able to do. I, I, but... wouldn't, I wouldn't say New York didn't play. I think that they attempted to. I think they just were really, um, huh, uh, for a lack of a better word, I think they kind of got trapped. Uh, and, and that's the best way. I, I that I, that was seriously not a pun on purpose, but I, I really feel like Columbus uh, baited them a lot into into playing a specific way, and I I think that they they had a perfect game plan. I, I really think Greg Borhalter um, definitely played this right. I, I think that he was lucky in some respects, but I think he hedged his bets in the right places. So that's just yeah. just my opinion. Um, I don't think one. I don't think either. I think it'd be really nuanced to to try to debate which which series was better. I think Dallas was really um, underwhelming in their performances. I, I expected more from all their players. I thought that that's just, they, that this they would be two a, fun comebacks though. They had two fun comebacks. That and were spoiled, Portland, that were, that that were spoiled were by Portland comebacks. So both of those games ended in a very fun fashion. Well, New York ended in like the last five minutes of the New York game was exhilarating, uh, exhausting, exasperating. It was, but only but half their fans got to see it. <laughs> I'm really surprised I'm the one making mention that. Usually you're the one with the with the 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 hard um, you know wand over uh, fan bases. Oh, do we do we want to bring up the whole security thing? Because I I, I did kind of anger people. <laughs> Trying to do this more and more, uh, anger people on Twitter. But I was saying, look, I don't care if there's a 90 minute wait outside of the stadium. You should if you're not at your game 90 minutes ahead of time. What are you doing? Well, and I I, I echo. I think that the, that is a MLS. Uh... Just judging based off of I, I've been to game to to in fact like Seattle until last season I hadn't even been to a Seattle game um, I'd been to games uh, across you know Houston Texas uh, Dallas um, sporting region and I think the, the the general vibe that I got was that people are all right with showing up at game time because they'll probably only miss a couple minutes of the game. Because of how quickly, you know, uh, most venues are at getting people into into the match, I I've rolled up on multiple occasions, and you know, I talk to people, I'm like, hey, let's go, and people are like, why? The game's not for another thirty minutes. See, I'm and, and I, I come from like a that... supporter culture. In supporter culture, we're there like four hours early. You know, we're just sitting out there, talking with people, cranking music. It's a day. It's an event, and. 
especially at StubHub Center, you can't get there. I know a lot of people do, but StubHub Center has a reputation for having terrible parking, terrible uh, traffic getting there if you get there during uh, in the, during event times. It, to me, it's kind of unacceptable. And if FC Dallas did, and they did, say, hey, hey guys, we're going to have extra security, you should arrive early, then you know what? Don't go to church that day, uh, you know, put it off. You come to you come to you come early because you know FC Dallas isn't going to be. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they've got a bright future ahead of them. But this could be a once in a lifetime experience. You don't know. I wouldn't go as far as to tell people not to go to church. I, I I'm a, you know me. I'm an avid church goer. So, but that being said, you could go to church and still arrive an hour early for this game. You could still go to church and arrive maybe two hours early for this game. It was a ninety-minute wait, though. You would you would have still you would have still had thirty minutes. Well, it was a ninety-minute thirty wait, minutes of the game. But I I don't. It was a ninety-minute wait at the start of the game, or at like thirty minutes prior to the game. I don't think it was a ninety-minute wait ninety minutes prior to the game. In fact, I would probably wager that that time frame got seriously compacted due to the multiple people showing up 30 minutes early or 20 minutes early. Look, I know and that, people that's religious, that, and you know what? Her religious soccer goes, they would totally skip Sunday. They would go Wednesday or they would go some other day. They'd be like, God, you know what? You know I love this team. You made me that way. You totes understand, right? Cool. <laughs> the fact that you said totes it just deserves to be slapped. If I was in LA, I'd slap you right now just for saying that. But no, uh, there. All right. So the fact is, is that people miss church to go to Dallas, you know, cowboy games. People miss church for a lot of really stupid reasons. And and this is in my okay. I'm probably not the most you know religious spiritual person ever. To, so I'll just say I've missed you know church to go to things like this. And I you know. If that's what you choose to do, that's great. It doesn't I think, make you a bad person. I th- it doesn't. I don't understand why some, someone did react against it. I was just like, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church. I'm not – I don't understand. This isn't an attack but, on but, faith but, but at but all. Here, here's, the, here's the thing. It's not even about church or, or going to church or not going to church. It comes down to making appropriate um, plans, right? So if you're going to plan to go to this game, you need to plan that there's going to be heavy traffic and that not only that there's going to be heavy traffic, but that you're going to have problems getting into this game. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, that's just 9/11 was in 2001. And how many times have all of us had to, since then had to go through this where there's an attack somewhere and security at events gets ramped up. We know the drill up by now. You know, it's a sad world that we live in, but we know the drill. There's going to be security after after what happened in Paris. It's just a fact of life. You should know that by now. I don't understand. I don't fathom how these fans got there and have the, you know, have the balls to jump on Twitter. Like, oh, what a terrible organization Dallas is. Show up I, early. I think, I think. You know security is going to be bad. They're going to check. I'm, they're going to check all your bags. They're going to do all of that. The fact that it happened at multiple locations in both New York and Dallas, I think just under uh, really expresses the point that it's a it's a culture problem um, that we have with fans uh, expecting, you know, that they can show up at game time. And we'll kind of go we'll we'll get past this. Let's let's talk a little bit about Columbus and Portland coming up um, in Columbus. Obviously, the the most recent game played was back in September. Um, 
Columbus lost to Portland two to one. There's not a lot of history here because of the simple fact that, you know, the teams meet once a year over the past, you know, since 2011, there's not a lot to go on here. Audi had a big game. Um, you, you could probably say that there was, um, Columbus really tried to dictate the possession and everything as they had 422 passes. They had 587 touches. So they, they definitely, um, definitely tried to dictate more of this game. In fact, to be perfectly honest, uh, Columbus had almost as many passes as uh, Portland had touches. But, uh, you know, this is this is a game that is going to be very much... Um, I think that this is going to be a tale of two really tactical minds trying to figure each other out, and I don't know what to expect from the first half. And because we don't know what to expect from the first half, I think the second half is an even bigger guess. I, I, I is... Valerian Nagby and Shara going to be in the midfield again? Uh, is Wallace going to start? It, you know, is Espria going to get a start? It is, you know, Ridgewell healthy? Is, you know, uh, is Adi healthy? You know, Merrim went down with a, what looked like either a fake pulled hamstring or a really pulled hamstring. Um, you know, who's, I think uh, Saeed had to come on for him uh, in the latter stages of the game. You know, there, there's all sorts of all sorts of questions that surround. Is, is Tyson Wall going to start, or it, you know, who, who's going to start in the center back t- tandem with Parkhurst? There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting um, narratives that surround this game going into it. Uh, I, I don't think necessarily you can look at just this one game uh, for any type of reasonable insight to how MLS Cup is going to be played. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't know who I'm picking. I think I'm going to just pick Columbus only for the fact that, you know, I, I've been to a couple home MLS Cups, and the thing is that it's it's a huge, huge advantage. Like, the crowd is more amped than they usually are. So home advantage is big in itself, but home at MLS Cup is bigger because it's the championship, and the fans really want to see their team win the Cup, which is why I think... There's never been a away, I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah, there's never been an away uh, team who's won in uh, since they've started this format. And uh, Kansas, and uh, Real Salt Lake got close, you know, but I think that's definitely a huge advantage. But I do think Portland is the hotter team right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, I think Portland's the better team. I think Columbus is the deeper team. Um, I, I, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with injuries. Um, I think that if Ridgewell is out, I don't know, uh, how much I, I really give credit to Paparato to, to take on Kai Kamara because that's what it's Ridgewell says he's fine and that he's coming back, whatever that's worth. Well, whatever that's worth, and, and that's kind of the point. Um, I think with Ridgewell in there, I think he can shut down Kamara, and that's the ba- that's the battle that I'll be looking for. Um, well, that battle, and then of course Nagby versus uh, Tony Chani. Um, how many times does Nagby get kicked and pushed to the ground? I I, I say you develop a drinking game for that. Um, if you decide to host an MLS Cup uh, party, 
definitely develop a, a Nagby being pushed down drinking game because I think Tony well, Chani is It's also gonna... Chani having to sit just formationally in between Trap and Chani. And Trap's going to have most of the ball, which means you're going to see a lot of uh, uh, you're going to see a lot of Char there around Trap, which means Chani's going to have yeah, like you're saying, it's going to be Nagby Chani, but that's going to be farther forward. So there's that to contend with. Uh, Thomas Rongan brought that up uh, in their in the post game show. It, it's I, definitely very interesting. I I don't know necessarily if he's going to be sitting. I I feel like they'll they'll really use uh, Chani to really disrupt Nagby because I think you have to. I think you have. I think if there's one player that you really have to focus on with Portland, I think it's. I really think it's Dagmi. I know everybody's going to talk about Valeri and how and how much he sets up the Portland's attack, but I think if there's one player that you want not to have a good game, it's Darlington Nagby. Well, right now it's two two poison because we've seen both of them be chance creators uh, in the last two games. But, so, uh, but it, I think that it, if you have, I, I don't think that it's just about keeping Nagby from being a chance creator. I think it's about disrupting him because I think if you can disrupt him and you can run at that defense, that Portland defense, I think you can start creating things. I think when you get, you know, double teamed and they start doing a really good job about shuttling that balls, Char is all over there. Nagby's back there. And, you know, either you have, uh, Powell or you know Villafania being able to gobble up those loose balls I think that's when you know Portland really succeeds and that's going to mean that you know they're probably going to go over the top to Kai Kamara a ton uh, I know that you know it'll be really interesting to see Ethan Fenley run at Villafania and see how he you know is shut down uh, much the way that uh, uh, Fabian Castillo was but I don't know. I, I I really believe that overall that this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a chess match. Yeah, I mean, so what's your pick? Um, I'm gonna go with Portland. I just think Portland has the better player right now. Um, I, not quite the Kobe rule, but um, you know, uh, I I think that uh, Nagby and uh, I think that Portland has the better defense. I really think Michael Parkhurst is overrated really think i whoa, whoa whoa shut this podcast down we're not I, friends anymore i i really think parker's is overrated um i think that they've gotten by with steve clark i think they've gotten by with having really good fullbacks um and i think tony chani is really underrated um as much as you know there's a lot of really smart people that have talked a lot about him Outside of that, I, I feel like the normal average MLS player probably or MLS fan, quote unquote, probably doesn't really think of him as being a as great of a player as he is. That's I think fair, that covers. But I you think are that, so wrong about Parkers. Parkers. Parkers is an average defender. Average MLS. No, he's defender. not. Okay. Parkers anchored the defense for multiple MLS Cup runs from the New England Revolution in a three back where. No. All that was yeah, keeping that was, them alive yeah. was his Ten positional years sense. Ago. Ten years ago. Which was ago. his positional sense. He comes back to MLS, still the same small guy. He still is able to shut things down with his positional sense. He's AJ De La Garza, essentially. 
that's a really interesting thing. And if that's that's the case, he, Michael Parkhurst might be what I call the Brad Evans rule, where I can visually see he's good, but when I look at his numbers, he looks average. And I think oh, yeah, that that happens does, a there lot. Aren't, to... Because there aren't aerial duels. Because it's all in the positioning. It's all about getting people to go to the other defender. It's all about... It's all about manipulating space. No, I agree. I agree. It's about pushing players to space that you want them to to fill. But because of that, you should see a lot of interceptions. You should see a lot of of, um, various other... Um, little nuances, whether it's just take-ons one or if it's tackles one, but he doesn't get a lot of those necessarily. So well, he wouldn't have I, the I think, interceptions. It would be the people around him at the time. So you would right, have but to have because of his positional sense, he should, he of, should allow Tyson Wall or whoever else is combined with him to to leave that to to kind of perform that double team. And he should be scooping up that loose ball, intercepting those passes, gobbling up you know whatever is loose. Uh, in that always midfield. Be Tyson Wall because you have to think of the times when someone in the midfield, uh, deep in the midfield, is looking up to the forward and they're completely marked out because uh, you know Parker's is in that window, so they have to force it to someone else, and that that pass option is backwards, or that pass option is something that's not productive, or that pass option gets intercepted but gets intercepted somewhere completely where you wouldn't expect it to be when you're just looking at the chalkboard. It's very hard to judge defense for this very reason because it's so front-to-back fluid. I just don't think, and and this is, again, it's not a visual thing, so maybe you are right, and and I'll definitely concede that that's, that's a possibility. But statistically, I don't see anything that necessarily makes Michael Parker stand out. And, And that's okay. Not absolutely correct. Won't. Statistically, he is not impressive. Right, and, and and on a defensive mindset, that's okay because he's not awful, and you can spot both. You can spot defensively bad players that get beat off, that get beat, um, and foul a lot, and tackle a lot. Um, you you can spot bad defensive players statistically, I think, um, or at least come up with a good theory um, or hypothesis that they're not good defenders. That being said, um, I think that there's definitely players that are very um, enigma-ish, and I think Brad Evans is one. Um, I don't know AJ Delagarza is. Does he have a lot of? Um, does he have anything that's really definable as a trait statistically? I mean, really, I mean, I know he's he, really for you. De- for you, really he's one depends. of the best defensive players in all of MLS. So that's why I'm asking. It is because he sticks on people like glue and he covers people in ways that you don't see. But he, the problem with AJ judging wise is you. There's always a defender who goes forward and a defender who's back, and Omar is the one who gets the most tackles. But it's AJ is the one who's allowing him to get those tackles and win. Every time Omar gets beaten, it's AJ back there who's positioned himself to save him. And that happens a lot with Omar. So, looking beyond uh, all the nuances of Parkhurst and all this other stuff, um, my pick is Portland, your pick is Columbus, and we'll see um, this weekend who is right. Uh, What time is the game? I actually have no idea. I know in past that they've been all day affairs for me. I just start kind of relaxing about like 
whenever I get up and I just have like pregame on. Guess afternoon. I'm gonna guess afternoon. I mean, the last one was at noon, man. That was that's really gonna make me sad. I actually have to work this weekend, um, which I just realized like about 20 minutes before the podcast. Uh, my wife was kind enough to to remind me, hey, you know you're not getting to get to watch the game this weekend, and I kind of did the what sad face. Um. It is at 4 p.m. Eastern time, so yeah, one one o'clock. So uh, I'll have something on the DVR, and I probably will avoid uh, abstain from Twitter, um, like you wouldn't believe. So yeah, I mean, they really should push this game back a week a week anyway. Um, uh, uh, Zach Goldman was made a good point that if you push this back another week, put it on a Saturday, it goes up against nothing because there are no college football games. It's an interesting point. Um, the problem is, is that then you're playing games in December, and I think that they wanted to try to limit that. Um, I don't know, especially in Columbus. I mean, you end up you risking, um, you know, snowstorms and winter. So I didn't even think I, about I know that. It's, oh my I know god, it's, it's gonna be awful in Columbus. It's gonna be freezing. You remember? You remember uh, the ice? Portland's bowl. gonna get Mexicoed. Well, you remember like uh, the Ice Bowl, like when uh, um, Sporting took on Real Salt Lake, and that ground was just absolutely frozen, right? Like I it had do to bring not remember because in... I was working that day. Oh, so this is reverse. See, like that <laughs> is the most vivid uh, MLS Cup. I was having people over. Um, I actually had an MLS Cup party, and it started like at nine o'clock, dude. It was awesome. I just like baked and cooked. Um, I was in Tampa. Um, my family was up in Seattle, my like my wife and my kids. So I had I like bachelored it up. I had all my buddies come over and <laughs> like, yeah, it, it was it was awesome. Bunch of pizza, nachos, like all sorts of like bachelor food. And it just was all day. And it was just yeah, uh, it, it was it was pro- that that for me would probably be the best MLS Cup uh, up until uh, Seattle like gets there in like 2030. Um and yeah, so that'll be cool. I have that to to look forward to. <laughs> and Portland will have beaten you, according to you, of beating Seattle to it, which is going to be awkward. But wait, see, and this is this is the thing that you have to always you. Sometimes I think teams get too caught up with comparing themselves to other teams, um, especially Portland. Portland was really healthy at the right times. Like they got the players healthy at the right times. And that's what it comes down to. Um, Portland was largely kind of bad during the time that Seattle was good and then got good when Seattle was bad. And I don't think necessarily you can – I think they constructed – I think they both constructed really good teams. And I think at that point in time, you kind of have to wait and see what happens with health. And health bit Seattle yet again, and I think that – comes down to maybe how you constructed the age of your roster. Um, but then again, you can't necessarily predict health issues either. So I, I don't you can't. Think... I mean, the Oba thing was kind of freakish. He kind of like fell awkwardly like on his back or right. It was because I remember that injury and thinking like that's that's right. Like and then time. and then Brad Evans hurting himself as he was running down against Robbie Keane, um, pulling that muscle. Uh, Chad Leo... Garrett cel- celebration injury. <laughs> that was uh, that for me will be forever one of the funniest things of all time, especially being that they lost that game. 
Um, so yeah, that, that to me is like the epitome of, um, uh, of MLS people, people get really excited about a goal in the first half rather than, and they over celebrate. Yeah, whatever. Um, bottom line is I think sometimes you get over, um, you really try to compare yourself to another team. And I don't think necessarily you can always compare yourself to other teams. I think what you can do is compare yourself to the past iterations. It's kind of like golf in that way. I think maybe you should look at how did you do trying to improve your team? Did you make the right decisions that you could have made um, coming into the off season and what decisions can you better your team at? And I think that all you can do is try to put the best, best roster out there and sometimes the best club doesn't always win. Um, I think that there's a serious debate that could be had on whether or not Portland and Columbus are the best two rosters, uh, well, best two teams. And, and so, <laughs> they're definitely I, not. Well, I, I think that there's an interesting. Uh, I, I legitimately believe that there is there is an argument that could be had um, that Portland or Columbus is a better team than either the Red Bulls or Dallas. Um, you know, I, I think that there's an argument that you can make. There's not anything that's 100% certain that says Portland is not as good as Dallas or Portland is better than the Red Bulls. I, I think that it's really arbitrary. We can come up with a lot of metrics that say, Hey, they're better at this than this team. And they're better than that at that team. Um, I don't think that there's anything that says Portland is 100% better. They've, they've gotten further. And for that, um, definitely they earn the right to uh, represent the Western conference. But can we say Western conference and Eastern conference trophies are such bull crap? Like that's, I thought the same thing until last year. First, I want to say one thing. Seattle has definitely, I'm never going to say this ever again, by far the worst playoff luck in MLS. And they should have won an MLS cup by now. One of those years. They've had some amazing teams. They've just been unlucky. Play this is a crapshoot. Now to my point, I it, it really depends who you're playing. Because um, 2012 is a great clip of yeah, of the Galaxy going to to hoist the the Western Conference. That they're they're not they're not even paying attention. They they pick it up. They put it down. They're like okay, back to business. Com- then you compare that to them in Seattle when they won. They're flipping out. They're, you know, uh, Juninho's running around, you know, because it was – they came back. It was this huge moment. And for me, since Seattle was the rival team, it wasn't New England, you know. For me, that was the MLS Cup for me that year. So, f- for me, that's the trophy that I care about last year as or, or 2014 as much as, you know, I, it's great to have one MLS Cup. To me, winning out over the Sounders was cool. So, I – Guess giving it some pomp is kind of cool, but I, I agree with you. We shouldn't have semifinals be a final. Um, I, it, it, that's a inter- it's an interesting discussion to certainly have, especially with uh, um, the fact that we have conferences. But I think giving them trophies, I think is yeah. even Grant Wall like did you know uh, semi uh, we give semifinal trophies. Uh, which I kind of laughed at. I thought was kind of, you know, the trophy society or the trophy generation or something. Yeah, and, I mean, and, it, it leads me. I mean, I made this joke the first game that we played Seattle this year. I called them the Western Conference final runner-ups because it, it, it leads to weird things like that. Are they tech? Are, 
you know, can you technically have runners up in the semifinal? Like, what are we doing at this point? Or, I mean, what really made it the funniest iteration of it was once they allowed conference swapping for the wild card teams back. I don't remember. It was 2010, I believe. And it was new. It was New York, or was it Colorado? Some Western Conference or Eastern Conference team won the other conferences trophy. Yeah. So that's forever in their trophy case, and it's just like, okay, this is stupid. Well, and, and I mean, yeah, we can we can rail about this uh, for quite a little bit longer. Uh, I I just I disagree with the premise. I think trophies should go for things that actually get you CCL um, bids. That's that's my personal opinion. Um, that can be probably argued to a great capacity to be wrong but that's my opinion and opinions are like many things um everyone has them insert whatever you want here so um you get a ccl bid for appearing in mls cup don't you no you don't you're right you're right you're right no not anymore um so we should strip it from us open cup continue so let's let's turn our uh affection to uh to the great words of uh, Taylor Twelman and hashtag fullbacks are people too, which was probably one of the greatest things that he's ever said, in my opinion. Um, it, it's kind of funny that MLS wants to completely cut people out so that they can add. I, I don't know if it was you or if it was, it might've been Mike that said on, t- on uh, Twitter, one of the, one of the ASA guys, uh, contributors. Uh, so MLS is more of a marketing firm than it is a league. And I think that if you look at it that from that capacity, you get why they would cut the fullbacks out because fullbacks are no name guys. They want their best 11 to really showcase the top level talent that they have uh, in this league. That being said, none of the U.S. players that were selected have had caps in the last, I think, 12 months. In addition to that, um, I, I really didn't think Robbie Keane really warranted that sl- to go out of the way to warrant that. And there's a lot of people Robbie that were Keane's bad. Goals per, Robbie Keane's goals per minutes this year is ridiculous because you have to look at his injury. No, and, and that's absolutely fair. Um, although he did have 2000 minutes. Okay. So he did have 2000 minutes. I thought it was under. Um, so I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I, I'll give him that. I, I thought that it was less, I know his expected goals was as always incredibly high. Um, so I, I think that if that's he scored more goals this year than he did last year and he had fewer minutes. Right. And, and like I said, um, he, forever one of our top um expected goals guys he he is um perpetually on top of that but that being said do you really i mean you you can understand when you're faced with the dilemma of hey do i want chris tierney or alvis powell or tyrone mears or sean francis to really take um robbie Keane's place you know that that's that's the pers- perspective that I kind of have uh, with how MLS looked at this. Hey, we have a, we have an opportunity to showcase, and yeah, I, I absolutely agree that MLS should use um, a for, uh, formation that's more indicative 
of MLS, you know, 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1 or whatever they want to use. Uh, a, a great point was made uh, by Ives Galarsep that the majority, I think it was the majority of teams only go with one striker. So even using two uh, within the MLS best 11 would probably um, be kind of generous uh, in terms of ap- representing uh, teams as a whoa, whole. Whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't a real team, people. Chill out. <laughs> that's, that's my field. We're not playing this team anywhere. It doesn't have to work. It's a arbitrary way of saying kudos to you. You had a good season. Yeah, but and I, shouldn't shouldn't you show? I mean, if you have these positions being played every week, do are there three center backs? I mean, what they should, deline- they should delineate. Center- they should have a four back, and they should delineate center backs from full backs. I think that's the easiest solution here. I, I agree. I think every- other than that, because you do free. I mean, you delineate goalkeeper and all that. Other than that, I. I mean, to me, the biggest shock of this whole thing was: Did you see Jason Kreis's alternative eleven, or who he thought? No, I did. I hadn't had a chance to watch it. This is. <laughs> He, I'm not, I don't remember the full list, but in the midfield, he had Kaká in there, but not Benny Thalmogren. You know, when you know what, when you I know saw what, that, I lost all respect for the man. I thought, you know what? Seattle made the right decision by keeping Ziggy Schmidt. <laughs> except for, I mean, according to our numbers, Kaká was pretty um, neck and neck with Benny Thalmogren, expected goals, total expected goals. That's about the expected assist, bro. Okay, so eight to um, five, yeah. So in that capacity, but Kaká did did more, um, did less creation and more attacking. But I, I, I regress. Who would you go with if you had to pick two fullbacks? Who are the two fullbacks you choose? Tough. Um. It's going to be a toss-up between three, even though I think toss-up technically means two. <laughs> Kearney, for sure. Just, you know, we're both you we're, know, yeah. fans. We're bi- both it's, big and big Tyranny fans. Bro. The reason why is there's no one who gives you uh, – he ranks very highly in expected assists. Uh, so he we, creates a lot of good shots. Somebody said the other day that the best attacking fullback in the league was uh, – uh, Demarcus Beasley and I nearly lost myself. Like I, <laughs> I, 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 I nearly came unglued. It was, it, it wasn't, it w- wasn't my proudest moment. But yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna go with Hollingshead or Beasley. I mean, sorry, Hollingshead or Rogers for the next one because uh, both of them are solid front to back. They rack up. Um, they're in the top six defensive uh, actions. Uh, for the position, they're both solid in offense. Hollingshead would have had my vote. The only problem is he didn't play enough fullback this year for me to really warrant that. He played a lot of uh, the first three months in the midfield. Well, hold up, I'll tell in you. The attacking uh, midfield. Let me tell you exactly how many he played. But keep talking, keep talking. No, so I think he was very good, but I don't think that his defensive actions uh, was really properly like representative of his time strictly as a left back and, and no 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 it, don't you remember i stripped this per position using who scored oh is this, this is actually so you you broke it down 
Yes, I did. I absolutely. Well, who scored did, but yes. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'll give you that. I'll tell you when I did my research, I didn't break it down. And so I, I kind of came off as a little bit um, hesitant with Hollingshead. Okay. So. He had 1,172 minutes at left back uh, prior to yesterday's game at right mid. He has 696 minutes. He leads both positions and defensive actions when it comes to to uh, but, minutes. When you delineate everyone else's minutes by the so, same standard. So, so yeah, he's he he he's a def- he likes to defend on the wings. He's pretty good at it. And, and both of us have said I, I'd be all right with him being called up. Not that I want to give everybody a call up that does well in MLS, but I, he's young enough to where it'd be interesting to see how he does. Um, we don't have we don't have a lot of depth at this position. Tierney, I mean, Tierney we're, and Hollingshead are We're sitting are on a mummy at this backs. point. What? Tierney and Hollingshead both left backs. Oh, I, I don't care. I, I would I would I wouldn't do right back versus left back. We're not doing left striker versus right striker. But see that's not different. doing le- we're not see, doing left different. mid versus right. Mm, I mean, kind of. See, and that's how I would break it down. I I would get granular. Who played the majority of their time on the right? Who played the majority on the left? Who played the majority of time in the middle? And who played the majority up at forward? And I wouldn't say striker, right striker, left striker. I would just say but, forward. But, not, but then not everyone fits when you do that, Harrison. Because you know, how do you put in Giovinco? What is he? Is he a forward? Is he a midfielder? He's an attacking player. He's a forward. I mean, he's that striker, so that's, that's how they classify Giovanni Dos Santos if he warranted the the, the position. Ethan Finley? He's a wide player. So he's a winger, even though he has the stats of a forward? doesn't matter what his stats say. What position did he play? What, what well, pit, well, if you look at his positioning what on was the his, field, what it's was his pretty co- forward. If you look at his positioning on the yeah, absolutely. field, he's essentially say, a wing you say, forward. That's, you could say that about a few different players. It that's would, my point, but that's my point. It's, it's very – I don't. I would players. never delineate – that's my point. It, it, you would create a lot of problems by making it – it has to be this position. But that's a system if you plan. That's just a system. Say, if, you, if you take Lamar Nagel from Seattle and you throw him in, in Columbus – and say, hey, you're going to play out on the right, and you're going to play in, you know, Ethan Finley's spot. Guess what? He's going to be playing more as a forward. Mm, but he's still Nagel classified as a generally. Midfielder. Yeah, but Nagel generally does that anyway, and that's not. I don't agree with that. I think uh, he would still push forward in that direct, but I think a lot of it has to do with Finley's tendencies, which is a tendency to push up and stay up. I don't I think, think that's I, I out think of that that's direction. A- I actually think that's a really good comp. I think Lamar Nagel is basically a poor man's Ethan Finley. And I'm probably yeah. lots of hate for that, but whatever. No, you're you are absolutely He doesn't defend at all. He plays up close to the top of the box. You are, and... Yeah, that's very fair. Um Papa was a lot like that at times too. This year he um he kind of cleaned it up, which is ironic because he didn't necessarily have a better year, but I but I digress. I love Papa. You can't you can't say anything wrong about Papa. I've seen that man. Uh, except he recklessly. No, I'm not gonna. No, yeah, he recklessly endangered like lots of people by drunken driving. Yeah, that's a that's okay. I give it him pass. He's a sports star. We we give people like that passes in in a, in this society. Beat your wife. We don't care. It's okay. 
So long yeah, as you play, so long as you sack lots of people for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, look, and to be fair, I am the guy who wants one of the people I'm looking at for our model front office is that guy who's <laughs> been caught with cocaine for doing cocaine twice. Yeah, yeah. You would you say at least you know that he'll be like really? Uh, what did you say? <laughs> it was really asinine. Like it, it was hardcore. Well, I said we wouldn't pay him enough to do cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, that's and, what you uh, said. And yes. at the very least, um, we have an out of the contract if he does cocaine because, like, oh, we put right there in the contract, no cocaine, so contract void, get out. So, yeah, I think it's great, but uh, I, th- I, think that- I don't think we, we could con- convince, uh, you know, a normal the normal public to, that it's a great move to sign a cokehead. Now everyone's going to be looking on the internet. Who is, who is he looking at? Yeah, like, yeah. He- we, we, we have, like – you're the king of finding these, these guys. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's someone special that that's really, uh, at this point in time in their life, really dreading every email they receive from you. So, but you know, that's all right. So anyways, uh, man, um, one last topic, uh, before we go out, uh, George Lucas states that, um, he purposefully changed, Han shooting first. He he had Greedo shoot first because, uh, quote unquote, um, should Han be a cold blooded killer if he's gonna marry Leia? How do you feel about that? Oh God, are we actually bringing this up? This yeah. scene is a split second. This scene is a split second. Yet it is one this of is the a, most. This is a great is of, example. This is one of, of the greatest nerds like, being completely and utterly ridiculous in their film criticism yes there is to me you can make this a larger argument about keeping prints the way they are and the fact that you can no longer go and get an original star wars which is to me a fine film criticism but when it comes to nerd film criticism it's oh someone didn't shoot for they, they altered this specific scene how did this happen and it's all nitpicking and this is what makes uh, episode one, two, and three, the worst films ever made versus, you know, uh, what they didn't do any of this nitpicking. You haven't the answered the question. Other trilogy, Yorka, I don't care because I so don't you're all right care. with, you're all right with, with Han shooting second. Uh, either way, it doesn't change. Can Han, so, here, here, here's the, here's the Han ethical can shoot question because it's a reaction. Here's here's the ethical question: Can Han Solo marry Leia, being a cold-blooded killer? Uh, he is a cold-blooded killer in the fact that I mean, he kills people to save Luke. He shoots down those ships. Exactly. I mean, like the he kills. I mean, you can go through and count how many people he kills in that. Uh, and also, if you want to talk about you know violence. Talking about little, uh, I mean, I know he's a bad guy, but uh, look at um, uh, uh, da, 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 da. oh god, um, Boba Fett. No, uh, Anakin. Look at Anakin. Oh, cutting people's heads off. The first, uh, I mean, in the third film. Actually, there, there, there are, th- I think, two decapitations in that film. One of them's from a Jedi. There are, there's a lot of violence in that series. Uh, Lucas. Should not be listened to at this point. Lucas has lost. He's not a good director to begin with. He is very asinine in most of his statements. He's a merchandiser, and 
he kind of lost passion for that franchise. Well, I think that that's just it. He has a he's, he's a, a really good marketer. He's an okay storyteller. Um, no, 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 no. I think the episodes one, two, marketer. and three is like are a great story. It's just very, very poorly told. The, like the grand Star Wars ethos has a lot of story to critique, dissect, a lot of themes, and you have to have a good storytelling instinct to come up with these to have all this nuance. It's just he's just not good at writing it, you know. Like he can come up with it, he just can't write it. If that's the case, I could I could be the next George Lucas. I have like tons of ideas. If someone wants to write them down for me, I mean the the problem is you. Lucas was very privileged, and you know, we go through his career. He was like a, an assistant for uh, Coppola. Um, he came out, he's from the new new Hollywood, which is all these um, privileged kids coming out of USC, having all these film classes and thinking they're going to change things. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I don't think you could be the next because you don't have the, the ends and the privilege of, uh, of a George Lucas. You don't know the I'm ends I have. You don't, George you, you don't know me. You don't, whatever. This podcast is I'm going to be sued by George Lucas when this. <laughs> he doesn't even, you, you think too highly of yourself. Uh, all right, I think that that pretty also, much. So we should uh, save all this for the Star Wars podcast. Oh, we're gonna totally have a pod, Star Wars podcast, and, and it's gonna be awesome. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have some special guests, and we're gonna do it later on next month uh, during the off season. And if people listen to it, that's fine. They don't listen to us anyways. Ha! <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, if you like us, give us a ratings on iTunes. Uh, you can download Soft Stitcher. Go follow American Soccer Analysis on Twitter at Analysis Evolve. I'm Harrison at Harrison underscore Crow. This is Sean Steffen at Sean Steffen. Um, man, uh, this is this has been a lot of fun. Really good podcast. Really excited for this weekend in MLS Cup. I really hope that you uh, you enjoyed this. Um, give us some feedback. Shoot us an email. Go follow us on something. Tell us how much you hate us. I don't care. Uh, yeah. So, Sean, anything else uh, for the good of the order? Uh, no, I'd just like to give a shout out to uh, Union Reddit. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the love, boys. <laughs> yeah, they, those guys love us. Um, <laughs> all right. Say goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Better eco, Iguain, and uh, have a great MLS Cup. Talk to you guys later.